With real estate becoming more expensive, adult children seeming to prolong the move out of the nest, elderly parents are opting to be close to family rather than head for the retirement home. And somehow, it can't all happen under the one roof. So today, we are going to explore the idea of putting another roof on your property with what you need to know about granny front regulations. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Estate Right is fast becoming the go-to guide for real estate agents, buyers, sellers, renters and investors, creating informative podcast episodes on the topics that get swept under the carpet in a too hard basket or too complicated to get the right answer. If you want to capture an audience that puts you square in the space of dedicated listeners interested in making their next move in real estate, then advertise with us by calling Lisa on 0359 77889. Dean Roller runs the world's largest granny flat resource, DIY Granny Flats. With hundreds of thousands of visitors to date, DIY Granny Flats continues to be a source of valuable information to property owners. Dean and his team help clients with designs and approvals for granny flats and likes to share his secrets to success in how to get them built for as low cost as possible. Here to tell us all about it, welcome Dean, how are you today? Very well, thanks Sue. Thanks for coming on to Real Estate Right. Now how did you get into granny flats? Yes, no, great question. So really, it was one of those scratch your own itch things, meaning that uh, we wanted to build a granny flat in our own backyard. And um, it really just started from there years ago. So back in 2016, sort of 2017, we purchased a property that was perfectly suited for one. And yeah, just started the research from there. And then before we ended up doing it ourselves. Yeah, amazing. So I guess depending on what state you're in, the condition of a granny flat and also its purpose have other names that get thrown around for that extra building on a site, which, you know, could be a bungalow, could be a studio, pool house, guest house. So what is the legal council term for these buildings? Yeah, sure thing. So technically they're called secondary dwellings. That's literally what they're called. Yeah. So you've got the primary dwelling, which is the main house, and you're only allowed one secondary dwelling on any lot, hence the name. Um, But uh, in Victoria, you guys have two, I don't know if you want to get into this right now, but but Yeah. yeah. Great. So basically, you've got two different versions of what that secondary dwelling could be. One is a DPU, which stands for Dependable Persons Unit, um, or a secondary dwelling. And um, they really just differentiate between what the use of them is. And do I mean, we can go into that right now. Yeah, yeah, we can go into that. Yeah. Yeah, great. So so the DPU, um, which is a Dependable Persons Unit, needs to, can only be used um, by someone who is directly related and needs assistance um, from from the person who's in the primary dwelling, the main house. So it could be a, a mother-in-law or a grandmother, a teenager, uh, someone who is dependent on, on the people that are in the primary dwelling. Yes. And, and then the secondary dwelling, um, that is, uh, there's a lot more rules around that to get one of those built. Um, and, and they require planning permits and a whole bunch of other a plethora of things, which we can get into a bit later on. That's yeah, basically. cool. Because I've got a dependable person in my backyard and we were told when we bought the house that... Um, we could only have, obviously, you know, one of our kids could stay there, um, you know, the grandparents, 
you could probably sway it through to a niece or nephew or something, couldn't you? Yes. Or a brother-in-law who, you know, just doesn't quite. It's true. It's actually a bit of an open sort of um, definition regarding what a dependable person is. So meaning by that, so they've had cases in court where they've discussed what is dependable person and who should be useful. And that term can actually can be broadened out to like examples such as you gave then as well. Yeah. Because, you know, every family's got one brother or (laughs) something. Someone who needs help. (laughs) That's not quite getting their life together, don't they? Yeah, exactly, for whatever reason. So that's exactly correct. Yeah. And that's the sole purpose of what the DPU is for. Yeah. So are you allowed to ask for board or rent from that? And so technically, no. So they can't be used to generate any income. However, there is a there is um an again an open sort of rule about the rent and and things like that. If you solely um build the DPU in, in and they and they and someone comes around, they council classifies it or they define that you built it purely to get rental income, yeah. then that's when you start getting into a gray area and you get into some issues. Um, yeah. However, if it was solely done um for the purpose of housing a dependable person and they are contributing some funds for whatever that might be. Um, then that's that's okay. Yeah, because you know it does cost power and water to have these things going. Exactly, um, exactly. So, you know, and at the same time, you want to teach. You know, if it's your kids or even that oddball brother that you know, <laughs> they've got to have some sort of responsibility. Correct. You know? Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. That's right. So when it's defined, it's more like a contribution to ensure that the you know the place is being maintained or running. It's very yeah. different to the sole purpose of of renting it out, such as you'd might buy a house or a unit or something with the, with the pro yeah with the, with this with the sole purpose of renting. The sole it out. purpose. Yeah. Whereas um, a second dwelling or a self contained unit would have um, more. You know, you would be getting that two hundred three dollars a week or something like that. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And it also, it, it also, I don't want to jump ahead here, but it also is dependent on how it's structured. So we'll get into that a bit later on as well. I mean, physically yeah. structured. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, it's not just the rent um, that council will look at for being an issue. It's about how the actual secondary dwelling is, is built. Well, that's, that's, I guess what we should be getting into right now is a secondary dwelling would have features like a proper kitchen and a proper laundry. That's right. Maybe their own private garden space yes or parking space yeah whereas it, a dependable person unit must only be a kitchenette that's yeah that's correct and and also a little bit more details about the construction of it too so effectively a yeah. dependable person unit must be removable so it yeah. has to be able to be taken away and moved where like a fixed structure for instance such as a secondary dwelling such as a pool house or yeah. something like that that goes through a different set of planning rules, um, which we will cover later on. Yeah. Basically, it's they're structured very differently. So it is quite it is quite clear that for a dependable persons unit, uh, for instance, you can't build it on a concrete slab, uh, like a fixed structure. Oh, okay. and, you can't ha- and you can't have the frame of that structure, um, you know, nail or, or screwed into that concrete slab. Like oh, it wow. has to be removable. Hence the, hence the need for it to be built on piers or stumps. Yeah. Um, for instance, um, when something's constructed, you've got a bottom plate uh, for the for the frame and you've got the stud walls and you've got a, a top plate, effectively. That's just how general frames are done. So the plumbing and electricity has to be shown that the plumbing is done, you know, from the bottom so it can be broken apart and removed. Uh, the electricity has to run through the top plate, which shows that those cables and those wires can be easily be pulled out 
Um, and then so when that dependable person unit is picked up and relocated, it's easy to fix those things back into it. Where with a fixed structure, such as a traditional home or a house, um, those things aren't built that way. You know, they're built through the frame. Um, all the frames are nailed together and it's yeah. built on, generally built on a concrete slab. So it really has to do with the construction as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. I'm sure my real estate agent, when I bought this place, said, you know, you've just got to be really, really careful about who you put in that unit. Yeah. Um, because if, for instance, you were to, you know, rent it to somebody and they saw that you were publicly advertising it as a rental to somebody, then the council could basically say, you know what, you're not doing the right thing. We order you to, you know, remove that dependable person unit um, and like there will be a bar on your property for so many years before you're allowed to put another one on sort of thing. Um, so what is, what's your take on the regulations? Yeah, no, it's a very good question. So effectively um, every council is different in terms yeah. of they have their, but I mean, they have a blanket rule that they all accept that you can't rent them out and you can't do things like this. However, what's very fascinating is that there isn't much record or even from council themselves. in a lot of cases that we've dealt with um, with clients of ours as well, where council has, openly said they don't have any formal checking of this. Like they don't go around and they don't have a department of people who go around and, you know, run around with cars and, and do things like that. Like it isn't actually, you know, it's not documented anywhere. Because, yeah, well, that's the thing. It's not rated. It correct. doesn't, it's not on your council rates. That's correct. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no way of them going around and they're actively not going around to check these things. So yeah. they, they say the rule, um, but what are they doing to enforce it? Well, effectively nothing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. However, in saying that, if you are shown or there is proof or there is some evidence that comes to light that you are doing it in terms of rental, like you mentioned with advertising it, then all that doing is stacking the deck in their favor, not in yours, if they ever decide to start implementing these checks and and, and things like that. So, yeah, that's something that you have to be very mindful of. Yeah. It's funny. Our council is very... um, the thing that they are checking at the moment are shipping containers. Right. They're really, really ugly. So they (laughs) do not want them to be seen from the street. And if you've got a shipping container that's seen from the street, they will get, you know, you get a little wrap on your knuckles and get told for it to be moved. Exactly. And there's just another thing to add on that with shipping containers. It's too, it's also another thing. It's not just council. It's the NCC or the national construction codes that also can impede you using a shipping container. So it's not so much what council says it's about. So that, so the, you know, the regulations, the national construction code state that you need at least 2.4 meters, you know, in height. And there there are energy reports that talk about the thermal efficiencies of things. And obviously you're not going to get that with a shipping container. So you're actually, it's, it's not just also a council problem. It's also a construction problem. which those things are generally ticked off with if you build a dpu correctly obviously but a shipping container it doesn't pass many of the construction rules oh yeah for a livable or habitable sort of exactly that's exactly right yeah we're we're sort of surrounded about a lot of acreage so there's a lot of people dump a shipping container with for storage sure on their properties yeah and they've been told to move (laughs) the property or somewhere that makes sense right (laughs) <laughs> are they going to um as a private rental or airbnb guest house if we were to do that would they wrap our knuckles and say you're naughty or would they actually no. tell us, do something will they yeah actually something? 
No, it's a very good question. So actually, um, so there, there's a, it's not a famous case or something, just something that we're very familiar with. So um, it was, I think it was last year, they put a tribunal together with um, the Victor- Victorian Civil and Administrative Tri- Tribunal, effectively. Okay. And it was, yeah, and it was, con- and basically what, it, what, they, what they talked about was they considered whether sort of six dwellings were, that were constructed as DPUs, whether they were, you know, otherwise known as granny flats or secondary dwellings. Whether they were actually defined as a DPU or dependable persons unit, or a, more importantly, a movable, a removable building. Yeah. Um. So they were in different various locations in the in the Mornington Shire, and basically what they found from that tribunal is they just it was inconclusive. <laughs> so, oh really? Yeah. So that was really interesting. So they effectively that they talked they went to the, the detail of whether you, you're allowed to you know screw in color bond sheets into the roof, you know, and they said well. Technically, if it's movable, how else are you going to put color bond sheets into these things? Yeah. So what was really interesting is that the tribunal did not make any alternative declarations and they dismissed the case. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. So we, again, which shows you this massive gray area and, and effectively yeah. all they said was, you know, oh, you know, we, we, we should see further changes to DPU provisions, but there was no answer to the end of the tribunal. So nothing oh, well. actually came of it. <laughs> so, for instance, because, you know, if you have a you know a few acres up your sleeve, um, you know, there's a lot of people who put, like, yoga retreats and they have, like, little, you know, four or five units, you know, standalone self-contained units just to, well, not self-contained, but studio units, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Balinese huts or something like that, yep, yep. Um, you know, in the back there just to accommodate their thousand dollar a night kind of (laughs) wellness center so actually that's a good point if what what i'm saying so what you're referring to is definitely once once you've got planning approval for for things such as that it falls away from the dpu rules yeah so obviously a lot of people can still do that and that just takes me back to the original point which i talked about is um with dpus a lot of the times they're easier to get up because they are to aid family that's the whole purpose of why they're designed so a lot of the times you don't need any planning or, or building permits to do that. Um, if a building surveyor comes around and um, and those provisions that have applied by looking at your land, yeah, they can issue you, you know, the, let's say the the um, the right to go ahead and put one of those on your land. Yeah. However, for things such as that you mentioned with the yoga retreats or yeah. you know the pool houses or anything like that, um, you'll have to get you'll have to get planning permit through your local council. Yeah. Um, so whether that's through res code or one of the residential development provisions. Um, so that's why it's important to talk to your local council first and see what is available, because obviously a lot of like, a lot of those things exist and they exist legally yeah. uh, because they went through the proper residential development channels um, to get to get those um, to get those approved. So, yeah, absolutely fine. But again, they're very different to DPUs, which are um, not meant to be a permanent structure, hence why a lot of the times you don't need. Um, building permits for DPUs. That's effectively the reason why. You've got a a decent sized block of land and you just might look, you know what, I've got, you know, Alfie who's 25 and, you know, can't get his life together and, um, you know, we're sick of him being under our roof. Yeah. He needs to have a sense of independence, but, you know, not too far away or whatever. Can you just call up a company like yourself and just chuck a, D, um, DPU in the backyard 
or yeah, absolutely. You don't have to no, absolutely. Yeah. To anybody, you just do it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, well, so we have you have to just get that double check first. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we do for clients too. So we double check that. We yeah. just make sure we, and then and then we help clients with the right channels. Yeah. Um, because effectively, at the end of the day. Um, we want to give the best advice to our clients oh, yeah. as humanly possible, obviously. Yeah. And, and it really comes down to them signing like, you know, a declaration saying that this will be used for Alfie or, you know, yeah. for someone who is related to us and does need help. Um, and then we help them with the application process in order to, you know, to make sure that they can, you know, get the DP on their site with no issues. However, there might be another thing where they say, look, I'm looking to go to do a pool house. And that, that, you know, that's something that isn't, or right now we're not planning to have that habitable at all. We just want something that's in the backyard and all that. So then we have to go through different channels to get those approved. Because most Um, houses that I see, um, you know, it's generally one big room. There'll be a little kitchenette to the side and a little bathroom. Um, It'll have big sliding doors onto a deck that's looking at the Um, Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's sort of tucked away in the back corner. So it really isn't accessible to anyone is renting it privately if you know what I mean yeah that's exactly right yeah it's it's more designed as a studio apartment or you know where you've got combined living and um bedroom and and kitchen in one place versus a dependable person unit which has a separate bathroom separate sorry separate bedroom sort of open plan living dining kitchenette yeah, they're very separate spaces. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And it really is as simple as just clarifying it with council. So yeah. if you talk to the local town planners or someone that's in there, yeah. Um, yeah, it's easy to get those answers pretty quickly depending on which council you're in. Yeah, yeah. I'll actually get it in yeah. writing, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you have a little bit of a secret. Some councils are trialling granny flats for multiple uses. Can yeah. you ask which ones and how to get involved with the trial? Yeah, so unfortunately, it just recently ended, oh, <laughs> which is the real. I know, and this is just something I like literally like weeks ago. <laughs> um, yeah, but but effectively, what? It, but but there's some good news that's come out of that. So effectively, in so in summary, between August 2020 and March 2021, or just the end of it. So like I said, just weeks ago, um, a pilot program was run, and it was effectively involving four councils, and they were Greater Bendigo, um, um, uh, Kingston. Moreland, I think there was one more, um, Murundindi, if I'm saying that right. Murundindi, that's right. Yeah, I believe that, yeah, they were the four. And um, effectively what they said was that the, you know, the Victoria planning provisions, they said for for these certain areas, um, we're going to let, we're going to let you put a, a, a secondary dwelling on your land, which, you know, maximum floor area of 60 square meters. Um, you still have to meet certain requirements about you know the private open space and the yeah. minimum garden area and, and things like that but bizarrely this wasn't publicly known like it wasn't you know oh. they didn't you know they didn't let the, and and people could use them for what they wanted to use them for yeah. so only yeah. they only got 10 planning permits to, oh, no. <laughs> which, is insane, which is such a shame um you know they went through them all and, and effectively what they said was is that you know they you know they always use certain terms like you know valuable data data was gained from this from this pilot program and we're going to put it together and we're we're going to use it to to, to further inform you know to other options to to you know to allow people to help with the you know the housing affordability issues that we're all struggling with yeah so the, the, there's good news around this um, there is a silver lining unfortunately like I said it has ended but the good news that sort of come out about this is that it seems like Victoria is following suit with 
um, New South Wales, which is the easiest state to get a granny flat up, yeah. to do with what you want, to rent it however you want, because there's, you know, there's a housing affordability issue that's clearly defined in, in every major city in Australia. And it just sadly, like Victoria is sort of falling behind a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, but it, it really does seem like it really appears to the people that I talk to in the industry that it's inevitable that from this pilot program, they're going to show that, you know, we need to be able to make this a lot easier yeah. to get granny flats on site, to be able to rent them out, to get people living in them that aren't dependent on the main dwelling. Mm. Um, so that's effectively what we're fingers crossed, hoping that this pilot program will show now that it's re- literally just ended. Mm. Well, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Cause, um, like I actually do a bit of work in the city of Kingston um, uh-huh. and this obviously Greater Bendigo is rural, Murrindindi is rural, Moreland is north of um, Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, so it's interesting they've done two sort of suburban councils and two rural councils. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's just, and, and I guess will that information spread to all the other councils absolutely so all the other councils are looking at this really it's to do with that and 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 effectively you know we can only hypothesize or the reasoning is is because why would they trial this you know what's the purpose of them trying this well really you know because a lot of people are behind this movement to say come on guys let's just catch up to how so many other councils around australia just allow you to do yeah. you know, give you a lot more freedom and, and, and use. Yeah. Um, and, and this isn't just, this isn't just an Australia thing. This is a big thing. Like recently, even in the States, for instance, yeah. you know, a lot of California and a lot of these rules, they're catching on. They're realizing the cost of housing is going up. The cost of land is going up. Mm. Um, there are so many reasons and factors that you should be building a granny flat mm. in your backyard um, in order to rent it out, because think of it this way, you know, what would councils prefer a giant big tower in the middle of somewhere with all these traffic issues, parking issues, sticking all these people in one area or taking all those individual units that would be in a giant building and spreading them across the suburb or multiple suburbs. Yeah. There's no more traffic, you know, like you, you're, you're, you're diffusing all the urban issues, um, that come with, with, so that's why there's, that's why they're so beneficial. And yeah. that's why council is looking well, the, at stuff. The beauty of doing it for multiple issue, issues, it could be, for instance, you may have a, a very small business where you, you know, you're in and out, but you need some admin staff to, you know, work from, you know, space and you don't want to spend money on a office let or whatever, you know, that's Absolutely. a great option. Um, you know, it, you could get your 25 year old son to pay for the unit kind of thing or whatever. Um, it shows some independence and responsibility. Uh, you know, retirement homes are getting so expensive and, you know, add on costs for those sort of things. So, you know, absolutely. And not to mention post COVID, right? Like a lot of people working from home and just oh, having yeah. a space to be able to work from yeah. um, and having more use, you know, to be able to do that because it's become a permanent fixture for a lot of companies, obviously, you know, even yeah. if it's part time or a version that you can work from home. Yeah. And yeah, like I was talking to a um, investment consultant yesterday. Oh, he, he's just put a couple of Airbnbs up and he has had he has been inundated with uh, overseas students booking them for a week here, two weeks there, so they can come here, work out where they're going to be renting somewhere and the rent prices are going to go up. Everything's going to go up because 
they're all coming back. Exactly. And this, and this is what one of the greatest benefits for Victoria in general is that this pressure that you just described and these factors are not going away. Like, no. in fact, they're getting bigger. So, you know, so something has to just crack. So Victoria should come in line with what everyone's doing, you know, in New South Wales and a lot in Queensland and different areas of WA. So, and in Tassie as well. So this isn't something that's not new. And, and it, I strongly believe it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Melbourne will be larger than Sydney within the next eight years in terms of population. Wow. Well, there you go. You know, and, and just think about, so so about 10,000 granny flats are approved in Australia every year. That's the legal ones. <laughs> and, yeah. and 63% of them are built in New South Wales because there's the most lenient rules there. You can do what you want, how you want. And, and they're so much cheaper to construct than a house. So it makes so much more sense from investors. It makes so much more sense from everyone. And you're still getting comparable rent that you would otherwise from a unit, you know, which costs a lot more to buy than it does to build a granny flat. Yep. Well, in saying that, after the break, we're going to talk to Dean Moore about the procedure of installing a granny flat and the benefits of adding it to your property. You're listening to Real Estate Right. I'm your host, Sue Langada, and I'm talking with Dean Roller from DIY Granny Flats about granny flat regulations and the benefits of adding a granny flat to your property. So, Dean, what makes a great design for a granny flat? No, it's a great question, Sue. And it really just falls down to sort of the standard golden rules of design. Um, yeah. So our team consists of architects and engineers and things like that. So whenever we talk to our architects, um, you know, they always talk, they always talk about making sure that you try and have north or northeast facing, you know, for, for the biggest windows and lights. And that's literally just comes down to how the sun works, you know, for where we are in the Southern hemisphere, meaning you yeah. get that beautiful, love, lovely winter sun in there, which reduces energy costs. Um, uh, but you, you kind of mitigate the, the strength of a summer sun, right. That, that, that comes in. And, um, and talking to our architects as well, not just our own, um, some of the other rules are talking about, like they, uh, a lot of architects talk about a hub. So when you walk into a space, you should be, e- it should be easy to access the, the, the common areas, which are the, the kitchen, you know, and yeah. if it's a galley kitchen, you should put the fridge close to, to the beginning where you walk in, because that's something that's accessed a lot. And um, you should be able to tuck away the things that aren't used as much, such as certain storage cupboard, cupboards and, and making sure that it's all open plan, um, especially for smaller spaces like granny flats. And of course, it keeps the cost of, um, of construction down as well. And uh, and then other things as well, such as making sure you've got enough room in a bedroom. So generally three metres by three metres is enough to house a comfortable queen bed. Um, if you go 3.6 metres by three metres, it's enough to, to put in a, um, a built-in wardrobe, yeah. which is obviously important. And if you can, raise the ceiling height just to make a smaller space feel bigger as well. Yeah. Nice little vaulted ceilings, always nice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, a vaulted ceiling pitched right, you know, you put some solar panels on and guess what? You're almost self-sufficient. hundred percent. And that's a really good point you make because there's a big movement around, you know, sustainable housing and being able to do those certain things. So just by making use of the sun and positioning those panels in the right direction, it makes all the, all the difference. Yeah. Put a water tank in, you know, make it really self-sufficient. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, now, what what's the procedure in putting the granny flat on your site? So say, look, the average Melbourne site that hasn't been subdivided these days is around 600 square metres. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you might get a few more. Sometimes it might be a little bit less. Yep. Um, 
600 is actually what we're allowed to subdivide in Melbourne. You know, you can have 300 um, square metre lots. Obviously, in the city, they like to reduce, you know, that's reduced, but middle suburbia, the middle ring, you're probably looking at 600 as your minimum to subdivide properly. Yep. But if you were putting a six, 60 square metre granny flat on your site, yep. Need you need less. Room. Yeah, well, you need a minimum of 450 square meters. Um, so that's okay. the golden rule. Yeah. So once you've got that, and then you've got setback rules. So from you know back boundaries, side boundaries, and stuff, and and they work under the same codes as for general houses. Um, yeah. So and like a common rule of thumb is that you can't go past the front. Uh, you know, like you see, all houses are all lined up yeah, the same. Of the neighbours. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's certain rules that come from the side setbacks and rear setbacks as well. And, and that's really just done by councils, the, um, the, by the, the DCP, the development control plans. Um, so yes. they don't, they don't differ from regular houses, which is, yeah. which is a great benefit because they're very easy to find out from your local council. So the advice that we always give is, um, you know, ring up the local council, find out what the, development control plans are for that neighborhood, for that council, for that region. And um, it yeah. makes it very easy to sort of work around those rules because the granny flats follow the same rules. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Say mum had a fall and she can't, can no longer live on her own. How long does it take to get a granny flat installed. Yeah, absolutely. So the general rule of thumb is that once you've got the, once you've decided, as we talked about in the beginning, whether you need a planning permit or not, which you just run through council or we can help you with that. Um, basically to get something that's um, already pre-made. So there's two different ways of, of effectively building a granny flat. Um, one is to have something pre-made off site and have it craned in, which comes with its own little yeah. pros and cons. You know, you've got issues with craning something in, if you've got electricity wires in the way, if you don't have enough street access and, Things like that, so they can pose some problems. So, the alternate method is obviously to have something built on site, um, yes. and and doing that. If you were to build something on site, most granny flats go up in about twelve weeks, 12, 12 to sixteen weeks. Okay. Yeah, so it doesn't take too long to build, and obviously a lot quicker than than regular houses. Yeah. So if you know, mum has to stay. You know, granny needs to stay. You know, inside for a little <laughs> bit. Exactly. It's just three months and then and then it's years somewhere else. If you want that space, it's okay. No, in the back. Years in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Having your own space back, having your own home back, let's say, house. Yeah. Now, in part, of, like, obviously, we, I guess we should probably just talk about the dependable person rather than the, the second dwelling or self-contained. Sure. Um, but, you know, like I know ours isn't separate metered, but... Can you get them separate? Models? Absolutely, you can. Yeah, it's fine. So, yeah, to do with electricity and water. And, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's not a complicated exercise, really. Like uh, all licensed plumbers and electricians are trained in order to put in, you know, a separate meter on, on a DPU or, or a separate dwelling, you know, from the main house. Okay. Yeah, cool. Now, the big question. How much would a one-bedroom granny flat on-site cost? Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that's a very great question. And, and I always answer this in the same way because... And uh, I don't mean to be flippant, but it is really comes down to how long is a piece of string. And what I mean by that is um, there's, there's rough, there's rough costs. Actually, if you don't mind, I can explain the different versions of costs. Yeah. You can, yeah, great. So effectively you can get a builder to build something for you um, or you can get an owner builder permit and you can arrange materials yourself and arrange trades yourself. And that's always going to be the cheapest method. Um, basically yeah. there's a, there's a common builder's margin and it, it ranges from, you know, 20 to 30%. Um, yeah. 
Um, and so we know in the industry that basically when a builder quotes you for a job, um, when you take the labor and the materials, you combine them together, you, you whack on that builder's margin. And that's generally what the cost will be. So hence, um, if you're willing to take a breakdown of the materials um, and then order them separately or have someone else help you to put them together, um, then it's going to be a lot cheaper. So I'll talk about the owner builder price first. So effectively for a one bedroom, um, if you would arrange the materials yourself and, and, and how you do that is what we do and other people can do as well. We provide what's called a bill of materials or a bill of quantities. So you can break down yeah. every single square meter, cubic meter and linear meter of everything that goes into it. Um, and so you know exactly what it is. If you went that route and you got a carpenter, electrician and plumber to put it together, you're probably looking at for a one bedroom somewhere in the vicinity of around about uh, $80,000 of something right. built. And, that, and that's without you doing anything. If you decide to pick up a paintbrush or do some work yourself, then yeah. that cost is only going to be, become lower. It's only going to reduce um, if you've got a builder yeah. to do it, you're probably looking at it in excess of $100,000. Okay. Yeah. And if you've got somebody craned in, like it was all pre-made? Yeah, good question. So they're, they're, those pre-made costs or those modular homes that are made off-site and craned in, they're very comparable to on-built sites done by builders. So you're looking at around okay. that same price, around, you know, 100000 plus for something like that. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you've still got the factor in the crane costs and other things that go into place yeah. as well. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, and then... Yeah, and then obviously once it's in, you know, you've got to get the plumber and the electrician to, to you know, fit everything Correct. as well. Correct, yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what that's why it ends up being comparable to getting a builder to build it on site. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because, you know, it would be easy to just go. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it is. And, and, and hence the reason why they, you know, that's why the, the price is what it is, I guess, because you're paying for that convenience. Yeah, because, you know, if because you could probably get one in, like I suppose, depending on when you order it, if you if you if they had them sitting around, which they don't, do they? They have them. They do the they do them to order, don't they? Oh, they? it depends. Yes, I mean, it's a good, there's a lot of different versions of how things are done these days. So what, there's different ways of modular homes. I should mention that too. So just to touch on that. So the first version is yeah. where they they have giant you know airplane hanger things like mini mini bunnings where they get them built you know away from the weather. And they build them in chunks yeah. and then they put them on trucks and have them transported and they put the chunks together or one big piece on your land. Or you yeah. get like pre-made frames or walls, I should say, and they kind of piece them together like Lego on site. Yeah. yeah. So it depends which way you, know, you, you want to go. There's different options sure. out there. Yeah. And some people like to do a two-bedroom version because, you exactly. know, and I, and I think I've actually seen a three-bedroom version, which yes. I like I'm looking at it going, whoa, <laughs> like it was really weird suburb i can't remember where it was but it was just took up the whole backyard you know half the backyard like the, there was this middle bit which was the backyard and it was on the back boundary so it's yeah. like you know well, you'll be, two houses you'll, you'll be amazed actually in 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 new south wales where like i said the rules are a lot easier you can do what you want effectively you know in terms of the bedrooms and things so a lot of you'll yeah. be surprised that there's actually four bedrooms 60 square meter granny flats and oh. they rent them out to students so what they do is they put a little kitchen, you know, in the middle and they've got the four bedrooms sort of around it with the bathroom there. So there is, it's like a little, you know, and you can, you can fit it in and there's, oh, there's plenty of them around, you know, universities, 60 schools, square meters, 60 square four, meters bedrooms. four bedrooms. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I know. So you could, you, it's very easy to picture, right? A tiny kitchen, like a little slither that goes to oh, the middle. Look, I've, I've, I've seen some of those student accommodations and they, the, the couch is a single bed. Yeah. And literally there's half a metre from stepping off your bed to the kitchen. Yep. And 
there's a TV on the wall and the bathroom is slightly bigger than an airport. <laughs> exactly. Like airplane bathroom. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they have a little one-person desk slash dining table yep. and that is and they're probably in the vicinity of I don't know 18 to 20 square meters well in size yep. but they, you know if you're doing four bedrooms then you only need one bathroom one one little kitchenette yeah think of it like a dorm room you know that like you see them you know you got yeah. this they basically have rooms that are kind of stacked right next to each other and then all the you know the people that live in those dorms they walk out to one little hallway and they might go to a communal yeah. kitchen. In this case, it's like a kitchenette that you might see in an office building in, the, in these cases. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but, no, there's definitely there's a fair few of them around. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's squishing them in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about maximising your rental yield. <laughs> I know. Um, when I first started copywriting, I remember doing a house in Paran, which is an inner suburb of Melbourne, and it was a one-bedroom Victorian, you know, single-fronted terrace. And it that had been in the family for years and years and years. And the granddaughter, I think, owned it at the time. And she said that her grandma moved in here and had something like seven kids <laughs> and they had bunk beds on the veranda. They enclosed the veranda oh, yeah. and they put bunk beds and the kids were top to tail. Yep. So on, on the bunk bed. So there was, you know, four at the bottom yeah. and three up top yeah. and they're just, you know, two and two and then mum and dad had the the main bedroom and then everyone came in to the house you know just as you would but you know that was back in the you know 30s or 40s or and something. that was actually Correct. very common not just here but all over the world um we lived in new york for yeah. a little while and we lived in this tiny little one bedroom studio and we were talking to old you know it's an old pre-war building and they talked about how they, they they would house eight nine ten people in these little things yeah, yeah. very similar to what you just described yeah so you know, we are very sport space these yes, days. And yes. uh, after we've put our little granny flat on our block, what's the resale potential happening? Yeah, exactly. So again, it, it really depends if it's a if it's a DPU or if it's a secondary dwelling, such as something that you, you got approved from council and you're allowed to do yeah. through the planning permit, right? So as a general rule of thumb, it, it always, if you've got a permanent structure fixed to your land, obviously it's legal and for whatever reason, yeah. um, that's that's generally going to add the cost of whatever it, it costs to put that on there. So let's use round figures, yeah. for instance. Let's say we spend $100,000 to get something on yeah. our land. Um, add about 20% of that, so around $120,000 in this rough example, and then take that yeah. $120,000 and add it to the value of your land before it was ever built. And that's generally yeah. the rule of thumb about what the value of the property would be. Um, if it's a DPU, again, it depends on, you know, um, if the person living there legally, you can't have that on there anymore, right? Because if you're going to sell it, then that means that grandma has got to move with you as well. So you've got to have yeah. it removed. However, if it remains on there, it, it sort of depends on the target market of who you're trying to sell to, obviously, and if they want yeah. that on there and what they want to do with it. Um, so that's, that's what it sort of boils down to, but the general rule of thumb and the way that I generally answer that question with a lot of clients, cause it is a very common, it's a good question is it's that rule of thumb of the value of what it costs add 20%. And that's generally what adds to the value of the property. Yeah. The other thing is like when I, when I write copy, when there's two dwellings on the one side, it's all on one, it's one title. Yes. So that can be appealing. Like it may be a nice, neat little granny flat. And it's only been put there in the last three or four years or whatever. Yep. Uh, when you sort of talk about two houses on the one title, 
it um, really appeals to a wider range of buyers. One hundred percent, yeah. And the reason is just because you know we've gone and gone to this wave, as you probably noticed in you know in Melbourne as well, that you know this intergenerational family or intergenerational living. Just yeah. the cost of housing is is you know forcing us back to how it always was years and years and decades yeah. ago. So it has a massive yeah. appeal, especially now. And you're absolutely right because you know would you rather a piece of land that you got to mow and cost you money or whatever it is or would you rather have extra space i mean that's what that's you know real estate is dependent on it there's a reason why five bedroom houses are worth more than three bedroom houses right like we all know yeah. this um so yeah. it's no different to having extra living space as well in the form yeah, of, a, cool. of a granny flat yeah definitely is there anything else that we need to know about granny flats before we um probably not really other than really it just starts with the planning and the approval process just in summary so i'd probably say that whatever you're looking to do it really just starts with the approval once you've got approval for it whichever way you go um then it it's up to it's up to you or us i mean obviously to to get that to get them built for as low cost as possible so we're big on this um our team of us are big on this and that's why we like to be as transparent as possible and talk a lot about the different options you have for actually building them you know so yeah. and and a lot of people don't really know this whole owner builder thing and if you don't mind i just want to say a couple of things about that if it's yeah, yeah. so, so yeah. a lot of people think you know i don't have any um uh, experience in construction i don't know how any of this works so that that scares me knowing owner builder so but really what it means is that you're just arranging trades. You're not doing any of the work. And, um, yeah. and, and it's a nice way to sort of open up the ideas that you can, you can put different people together. They're all licensed. They're all insured. It's all done in the right way, um, except you can get what you want for, for a lot less than you might otherwise think. That's all. So you don't need to be qualified. You don't need to, you know, you know. you're a project manager. Correct. And you do, you do a course online and it's like one day course, yes. you know, and, and that's all it is. So yeah. clearly you can't learn anything about building in one day. And really that course oh. just talks about making sure about the safety parameters and making sure that, you know, yeah. that's what, it, what it's about. Um, because mm. the government is not a, you know, they don't want to, they're not big bad monsters that want to stop you from doing things. They just want to make sure that you're taking, you're, you're not, like you're not putting anyone in danger <laughs> um, in order to get these things done. And that's, yeah, I guess is what I wanted to say in summary that we help people with the different options of just getting it done for less. Yeah. Nice. All good. Well, thank you so much, Dean, for your insightful knowledge on granny flats. If our listeners are interested in exploring the option of a granny flat for their property, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah. The best thing is just um, our website, DIY granny flat dot com dot au um get in touch with yeah. one of the team and we're happy to just walk you through your different options and um and like i said options of building it for as low cost as possible yeah beautiful thanks so much and we'll also have your details on our show notes and on our social media it's been a pleasure having you on thank you sue thank you so much it's been pleasure all mine oh thank you so now next week we have phil Mamalito from cre brokers to talk to us about buying a business yes buying a business comes under the real estate banner and we thought we would explore some strategies on buying a business for those who want to leave their day job behind and create a better way of life for themselves and their families so don't miss it real estate right is produced by real copyright one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies and is written, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances.
We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right. Oh,